Welcome to Elevenses with me, Danielle Perry, the podcast where the phones are put down, social media is halted, and we revel in the art of conversation. Called Elevenses, based on the format of me asking the same 11 questions to each of my guests, which provides some pretty glorious revelations. My guest today is a musician, band member, solo artist, record label owner, whose brand of coffee as well, Tim Peaks, named in his honour. He's also written three books, one of which telling stories may go down in history as one of the most candid rock and roll memoirs ever. As frontman for one of Britain's best-loved bands, The Charlatans, he's travelled the world, meeting the likes of the Rolling Stones and David Bowie, and making friends with The Clash, Johnny Marr and Paul Weller along the way. And when the world went into lockdown and live in-person gigs ended, he found an ingenious way to bring everyone together by inviting all of us, including the musicians who made them, to share memories of classic albums by listening along in real time. Sir Paul McCartney, Edwin Collins, Yoko Ono, Michael Kiwanuka and Kylie have all joined in with Tim's Twitter listening party to help so many of us get through a difficult time, as has the music of the charlatans for more than 30 years now. Tim Burgess, voracious music lover and lockdown saviour, welcome to Elevenses. Hi, Danielle. Do you have a coffee, by the way? You, obviously, with Tim Peaks, you're a coffee fan. I'm in a hotel at the moment, and uh, there's a, one of those Nespresso machines behind me. I could always make one, but you know, I've, I've had a few, though, this morning, I must admit. Can't imagine life without it. <laughs> Did you find lockdown hard, like the, the stopping of the touring and everything, you know, sort of coming to a halt? How did, how did you react to that on a personal level? Um, on a personal level, I found it really difficult. The listening parties really helped me. Yeah, because you strike me as someone who always needs to have kind of something going on. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just an amazing thing for people to listen to a record that they're so familiar with. Um, but but then there'll be so many things that they don't know about that they'll learn on the night. You know, their heroes talking about one of their favourite records and talking about details or just sending a photograph or tweeting. And now we're up to a thousand. And Blondie, the thousandth, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I mean, people would always ask, who is your dream? Who's your dream artist to to do a listening party? And I, and I used to say, it's ridiculous because it would be Kate Bush, you know, Peter Gabriel and, uh, and, and Blondie. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to say it because people ask. And, um, you know, so I said it. And, and the, the, the amazing thing, though, is that most people in bands have all been huge fans of people when they were growing up, you know. Mm. And so they know what it's like to be a fan. Yeah. Oh, it's a a wonderful thing. It's like you're sat around a table with them talking and that kind of sense of involvement. (laughs) It's a really warm thing, isn't it? That sense of community, it's so nice. Um, What we're going to start with, if it's all right with you, because I think it's quite a nice kind of rooting point, is what is your earliest memory? Cast your mind back, Tim Burgess. Well, I just had two kind of flashes then, so I've got to pick one, right? <laughs> my earliest memory is, I was going to say, my friend Simon Owen skateboarding outside my mum and dad's house. We'd just moved there. I, I, I'm sure I had memories before that. I'm thinking of outside of my grandma's and H. Croft Colliery in Presswich. But I'm thinking now that my first proper memory is my friend Simon skateboarding in front of my mum and dad's house and thinking, I need to be his friend. <laughs> What was your mum and dad's house like? Paint the picture for us. Well, it, it was like a, a bar at home kind of thing. And so it was like a new part of a, an old village called Moulton, which is outside of Northwich in Cheshire. And we just moved there when I was like seven years old. And um, did you become friends with that Simon? Did you become a good skateboarder? Yeah, I mean, I've lost contact with him now, um, but we spent 
pretty much from then till the age of about 18, pretty inseparable, really. And so obviously you, you went through the whole kind of growing up together, adolescence and stuff. Were you on the music discovery journey together? Is there sort of one band or one record that ties you in your memory as well? Yes, a band called Crass. Did you see them together? Yeah, but not at the age of seven. <laughs> um, <laughs> 13, age of 13, we were really into them. And um, I declared myself a punk age 11. Maybe it was 10, actually, and 11 was, like, you know, the first year in, in secondary school. But um, in secondary school, I remember uh, a kid called Gary Ollie telling me that I wasn't allowed to listen to the Sex Pistols anymore because they were old hat. <laughs> and he gave me a record called Reality Asylum, which was 45 pence by Crass. And it was like, you know, this is this is where it's at right now. And, um, and I took it home, and there was lots of swearing in it. <laughs> and uh, I listened with my headphones on, and... and um, and I just thought, yeah, I really like this. They've got a point. They were vegetarians. They were into anarchy. There was three women in the group, and, and there was uh, like ten of them. So it was kind of like a really good cross-section of people, all, all artists, and they all lived together. And I thought that was like a really interesting thing. It was like the monkeys, but a punk version. <laughs> and how did it go down when you were like 10 or 11, when you announced you were a punk? How, how were your parents <laughs> with that? Were they like, OK, Jim, that's fine? Well, amazingly, um, it was all over the telly, you know, in various forms, you know, punk and post-punk. So it was kind of, I think... Maybe it wasn't acceptable in the village that I grew up in, but you know, nationwide, it, it was it was the music of the day. I think really, I know that sounds very old person thing to say, but um, but you know, Buzzcocks and Sex Pistols and the Jam Vibrators, you know, they were they were all in the charts. So born in Salford and then moved to Cheshire, yeah. and then sort of having so much connection with Manchester and Salford throughout your life as well. Would you say that is one of your biggest inspirations, like geographically and the people there, or is, or is there one thing you could name as your biggest inspiration, would you say? I'd say it was Manchester, but I'd say it was Bolton as well, which is kind of like where my mum's side of the family came from. There was six in her family. She was the eldest. And the youngest, Andrew, was only a few years older than me, and he had like, uh, he had musical instruments. He had you know a guitar and a bass and you know a record player. Had lots of records and posters on his wall and things like that. So when I was you know when I was pre-declaring myself a punk, <laughs> um, I was still very interested in all the stuff that he had going on in his room. But you know like Jethro Tull record Aqualung was very interesting to me because it was just seemed so creepy and mysterious. And uh, he had that and some Genesis records as well, which you know with Peter Gabriel, which and, and I thought they were quite interesting as well. But I had to find my own thing, and it was punk. And then, you know, when my family moved to Northwich, I kind of spent a lot of time thinking that I wanted to get back to Manchester. And obviously, every every Sunday, we used to go to my grandma's. She lived in, in Swinton. And then, you know, back up to Bolton to see my mum's mum and dad as well. So it was like, it was just, it was that every Sunday for, um, you know, what felt like a million years, but... You know, it was probably probably about ten years, um, but very very cool. So, Buzzcocks were from Bolton. That's what started it all. Uh, ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have, and the album Love Bites, which my nan bought me for um, Christmas in nineteen seventy eight. I was just sat here thinking of my, my nan buying me an REM CD from Woolworths when I was younger. Wow, 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 there you go. These moments you treasure, don't they? And so it sounded like you had quite a sort of music and art-loving family surrounding you. Was it quite sort of encouraged to have an interest in music and the arts? Definitely, because Andrew, 
um, I don't know whether I need to reiterate, but my mum's youngest brother was an amazing guitarist and he used to bring the guitar down and play stuff, you know, hits of the time and things like that. And everyone would be like, oh, wow, you're so good, Andrew, you're so great. <laughs> and then he had a band and things like that, a covers band that I'm not sure whether they were good or not, but uh, they were certainly super competent. I felt quite proud. So I think I think that was definitely an incentive for me to want to get my own band together. Yeah. This is probably an impossible question for you. Whether it is a piece of art or a piece of music, is there one which completely takes your breath away? Um, anything by Bacon, really. Francis Bacon. Any, anything by David Lynch. Anything by Marky Smith. You know, anything by The Fall. Anything by David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is it. The list goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. And I know that you're only after one. <laughs> For someone like you, I mean, it's an impossible question, really. Um, talk to me about David Lynch and your sort of relationship with his work over the years. Well, um, when I first moved to London in 1990, I lived in Chiswick. And the closest cinema that showed things that I wanted to be interested in was uh, Gate Cinema in Notting Hill. And they showed Blue Velvet, and I went to see that and thought it was fantastic, and I was really hooked and wanted to know other things about him and, you know, then watch The Razorhead and things like that. And then Twin Peaks came out, and I was completely blown away by the fact that someone like him would make a TV show. And um, I remember seeing it when we were on tour in America. I kind of, you know, we are in a hotel room, and we all gathered around, and I just saw this eye of a, a huge crow and then it's up like all these detectives all in a line and I was just like laughing and sort of like and freaked out at the same time and I thought this is just amazing only he could do this and uh you know I always thought I would meet him and and you know and I've spoken to him now a couple of times um about transcendental meditation and I um through me half taking the name for a festival and calling it Tim Peaks and um through coffee I donate money towards the David Lynch Foundation, which helps people in pretty tough situations to learn how to meditate as part of a, an ongoing process to keep their spirits up and, and help them to get over anxieties and, you know, traumas and things like that. Mm. You know, obviously, you know, I, I don't expect him to cast me in one of his films. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, working through coffee and TM is a, is a beautiful way to work with one of your heroes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful way of doing it. Um, yeah. Has it been hugely helpful to you to... To, to learn how to meditate in life it has um and it was it was the way it came to me was i think pretty organic because i'd given up um drinking and all the various other sort of like trappings of rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> and and i was looking for something else you know I'd, I'd cleaned up my act and but there was a little bit of a void you know and i was always trying to hang out with people who were still my friends and still doing what i was doing so I was in my flat, and there was ten people in there, and we were all listening to music, and no song would last longer than like ten seconds before somebody else jumped in and changed the track. And I was, I just thought I'd go and sit down in the opposite corner of the room, and uh, and drink my diet coke. <laughs> <laughs> and then within about five minutes, a friend of mine who I'd known for years, Amy, she said, um, "Have you ever heard of uh, TM?" And I said. Yeah, I think I think so because I, I always remembered my favorite bit of the Beatles documentaries was, was the Maharishi comes along and teaches them transcendental meditation TM and um, and they write the White Album and the Magical Mystery Tour kind of like came about and stuff like that. So I thought that's that's interesting. Yeah, uh, and then she started mentioning David Lynch and that he's been doing it for twenty years and I just thought, oh my god, that makes so much kind of 
sense, you know. Yeah, how do I do it? And it was like that, and I made a phone call the next day, and two days after that I went to the Isle of Wight to learn how to meditate. And, you know, since then I've, I've done it twice a day every day. Wow. I do think it's one of the, I mean, like many of my friends now practice it regularly. Some are teachers, my mum does it. It's something that I've, um, I hate myself for saying it, and I really want to punch myself in the face when I say it, because <laughs> I feel like I haven't got time for it, which is exactly the point. Yeah, yeah. And I know where I'm falling down already saying that. Lots of people do say that, and you make all the time back. Yeah. I'm sure. So it is 20 minutes in the morning, and it seems like a long time, but it really isn't, and 20 minutes in the evening. And all the time spent meditating you seem to make about five hours up for, for sacrificing 40 minutes i have heard this i i appreciate it. i'm an idiot i know it as i say it no one's saying that <laughs> no no i am i wonder though with that kind of explorative mind you know and search for new experiences artistic experiences and learning and, and that that whole kind of process that you seem to to have in spades you know that seems to really suit the art of meditation doesn't it yeah um I, I definitely don't question everything, really, you know, and, and I mean that kind of artistically. I went through phases of questioning everything, and now I just find myself just doing everything without question. Most of my life, fortunately, is taken up by doing things artistically, you know, writing songs or doing books or, you know, if you can call the listening party that, then, you know, that's what I do most of the time. But um, I, I just roll with it, really, go with the flow, I feel like I'm kind of transcending most of the time without actually doing it. I feel like I'm just always, I'm always in a transcendental meditational state. Wow. <laughs> if, that's, if that's even a word. For people listening, Tim's actually got his eyes closed. <laughs> I was concentrating on getting the word in right and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> my next question to you, Tim Burgess, is if you have a recurring dream. I'm just going to grab my coffee while you tell me. I used to have a recurring nightmare, which was that, that the charlatans play the only one I know and nobody claps. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, that was a recurring nightmare. But that was, that was quite a long time ago. That was like, you know, in the mid-90s. Well, after its release, that was. After its release, yeah. You know, so it's kind of like that it didn't matter to anybody anymore and stuff like that. And that was a recurring nightmare but recurring dreams no I mean I always wake up kind of like pretty pretty smiley <laughs> but very rarely remember any dreams these days when you said about um the charlatans still being current and stuff yeah d does that kind of play on your mind at all I mean because you have always seemed kind of to me a little bit one step ahead well um you know most of the music that I listen to really is current music and um hopefully that rubs off I mean I don't ever really kind of listen to things these days and think, oh, I want to sound like that or I want to be like this or I want to be like that. I just I just listen with the curious ears, you know, and think, oh, nice, I like that, that's really good. Or, you know, if there's a new Panda Bear record, you know, I'll be, like, definitely at the front of the queue, you know, <laughs> to to go and get that. And, and um, it's not really about being current, you know, hip, hip like that. It's just about enjoying your work and sort of, like, wanting to push things forward, I think. Mm. With the charlatans, you know, I find... We all have to be really open to new things and, and new ways of working. You know, we don't want to do the same thing again. We don't want to be completely alien uh, as a band, you know, from the last stuff either. But we just want to start as if as if it's a new thing. Mm.
Okay, let's go down this route, I think. Um, what item of clothing always changes or changes the way you feel, Tim Burgess? Is there one jacket or one top that you can't imagine life without? You've always got it with you. Oh. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the question, though, and it's making me think. I mean, I, I've got lots of clothes that I love. I mean, the white shirts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the white T-shirts. Classic Tim Burgess staple. <laughs> <laughs> I've got millions of white shirts that I really love to wear every day. Mm. You know, I buy them 10 at a time. It lasts me for, for a few seasons. <laughs> but I'm feeling like I need to buy another 10 now. And training shoes or sneakers. I like Reeboks at the moment, and I can't imagine life without them. Dungarees. I've got a really nice pair of dungarees that I'm wearing at this moment, even though you can't see them because I've taken the top bits down. Uh, <laughs> Recently you've been wearing a red jumper on tour, haven't you? Oh my gosh, it's not a Christmas You've been like, this is not a Christmas jumper. I know, it's like, I started it though, that, so it's kind of, um, a friend of mine said, oh, it looks like a Christmas jumper. And from that moment, I've had to explain that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you wear it. Who was your best friend while, while we're talking of friendships? Have you got one? I've got a couple. Can I, can I include an eight-year-old boy in that? Please do. Yeah, Morgan, my little boy. Um, he's a... I, I, could, I don't know whether I can say I, really, I can rely on him, but uh, you know, he, he relies on me, so that, that, that's really good. <laughs> um, my friend Nick, he's, he's, he's really great, and we do a lot of work together on everything, especially Tim Peaks. I have others, but I'd like to keep them secret, if that's all right. No worries. How is it being away, you know, touring from Morgan and stuff? Like obviously, technology helps with that a little bit compared to sort of when you first started out, I'm sure, on the road. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult being, being away, but then you just have to make it up when, you, when you're together. I think it's all about the time spent as opposed to time being separated. Hmm. Um, when and where were you at your happiest, do you think, Tim? Um... Or are? Maybe it's present. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happiest right now. <laughs> uh, not just because I'm talking to you, but you know, of course uh, I, I am because of that as well. But just right now because of, uh, I've just been playing live. Mm. So in May of lockdown time, uh, I can't remember what the year was, not it? 2020? 2020? Yeah. 2020. Um, I released I Love the New Sky, which I was really proud of. Yeah, it was great. And I only got to um, do the tour last week and the week before. So today's my first day of not playing it live for a couple of weeks. And I've got to say that it was just like one of the most rewarding tours I've ever done. And um, we're all in a van. And um, Back in a the van. There's nothing quite like it, is there? Oh, it's, it's great, you know. So the fact that I've just done that makes me feel really happy. It was a beautiful record. I really enjoyed it. Oh. Thank you. And, um, Thank you very much. I remember one of my happiest times. We were driving up in a knackered old LDV pilot <laughs> red band van up to King Tut's. And you could literally see the road through the floor. Well, we just played King Tut's. Oh, I love King Tut's. It was so great. I know, it's ace. Yeah. Do they still give you a jacket potato or a bowl of soup when you get there? Yes. When um, the Charlatans first started, the first tour we did for Indian Rope, um, King Tut's was a brand new venue. Wow. And it was the only place that fed us on the whole of the tour. And um, I'll always remember that. You know, their hospitality is just amazing and it still is. Yeah, wicked venue. 
Yeah. So when we're talking about sort of happiest, if we throw that on its back and sort of ask you, what are you scared of? Any one thing? Uh, We've had a whole varied line of answers for this one. So anything that scares me? Um, I don't really think. I don't think so. Um, I suppose it's just like you know. I hope my mum's going to be all right. You know, my, my dad recently passed away in, in April of 2020 and my mum's doing really great, like doing amazingly well, probably better than any of us. Um, and um, just hope that she's going to be okay, I suppose. Mm. Um, anything that scares me, you know, Manchester United not winning uh, <laughs> the next game, that's probably quite nerve-wracking. Um, but, I mean, I don't want to get too heavy, I mean, but, you know, I mean... The, the state of the nation's pretty pretty rubbish at the moment. I'd like that to get a bit better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, what was your biggest life lesson, would you say? Well, you, you know, biggest life lesson really is... Um, oh, God. I mean, um, for, for me, I've, I've always been fortunate enough to, um, to follow my dreams. And as cheesy as that sounds, by sequences of events that are out of my control, um, I've been able to follow my instinct and um not only has it got me out of some pretty crazy situations <laughs> but it's also led me to places that i never dreamed of so i guess a life lesson is being able to trust myself and i i don't know whether i could say you know people have asked me you know what is my message for the world and i'm pretty sure that when i was younger i used to say trust your instincts however that's only really it's been great for me i don't know whether it's great for everybody else so, <laughs> so um my life lesson is that i've been able to trust my own instincts yeah what is great is that um i always wanted to impress my dad when i was younger right and um and he asked me what what i wanted to do because i was i didn't have a clue you know and i said oh i want to do what you do and he said don't you dare <laughs> Because he just knew that I was, that wasn't what I was going to be. He was a, you know, technical drawer, and that wasn't me. You know, I was more into, I was more into, I was into punk, and <laughs> you know, I was into records. I wasn't into anything apart from music. Mm. I was too late to get the audition, but I was going to go for an audition for the Inspiral Carpets. Ah. I was telling my mum and dad that I was going to do it, and my dad was really thrilled for me you know I think he thought that I'd found my calling and obviously that didn't work because I got a call the next day saying they'd found a singer so anyway the Charlatans wanted a singer and that was my destiny but I didn't know that I just knew that I didn't even need to ask next time you know I just went I didn't need to ask what they were thinking mm, that's amazing that support is mm. so amazing and I'm really excited about our children that generation because I think <laughs> that we are quite a cool bunch of parents where we're just kind of listening to them sort of letting them flourish and just teaching them the tools in which to go and pursue that in a sort of peaceful way you know it's exciting that would be great in a peaceful way yeah exactly yeah, i love that it's exciting Th this you may not have an answer for this because you kind of answered it but my next question is what advice would you give your younger self god um i mean i i, I don't know i mean i man like i said i managed to get out of a few scrapes and a few you know, I just felt um, quite lucky in, in a lot of ways that I didn't go on this kind of all-night fishing trip that ended up with um, with five of my friends going to Borstal and, and, and an older boy going to jail. 
uh, and I just decided not to go and there was like um, an altercation and someone got hurt really badly um, and I just didn't go and uh, I was really pleased about that in hindsight you know I, I don't remember how close I was to these people I, I was just part of a, a gang in a village you know um, and uh, so I, was, I felt really lucky about that mm. I felt lucky about meeting Martin Blunt and Rob Collins and forming a band with them and with Rob. If it wouldn't have been for him, we wouldn't have come up with Can't Get Out of Bed, which was like the first time I really felt that I was a singer, really. Uh, you know, I kind of like just mumbled through The Only One I Know, even though it sounds great and the melody is amazing. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was stuck on the third album and, and Rob kind of really led the way. I mean, he had ulterior motives for really pressing forward fast because he, he was going to jail and we, he wanted to get an album done before he went away. Um, <laughs> but he taught me how to sing on that song. That was a major turning point. I feel really lucky for that. Meditation, being able to being able to give up drinking and, and taking drugs quite easily, I think, in, in, in many ways because I'd, I never really looked back. The time came where I had to stop and, and I was really... I welcomed it with all my heart, you know. Um, I've never thought about it since. That's amazing. Apart from when I do interviews. <laughs> so I feel I feel really lucky about that too because lots of people, you know, obviously have terrible, terrible struggles. Um, and uh, so I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Um, my final question as we get to the end of this coffee chat is, um, I mean, we're talking about sort of worst qualities in our character now. Do you have a, a worse quality? That frustrates you. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pretty compulsive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just go with it. Sometimes it frustrates me. Sometimes I try and beat it, and and it always wins. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just got to honour these things, haven't you? Just go. That is there. That is that is not going away. That one. Yeah, I'm pretty compulsive. Um, I probably spend too much time on my phone. If there's anything in the fridge, I just can't ignore it. I, I have to keep walking past it. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised you're on your phone a lot because there is a lot. As I said, you know, the Listening Party book has been published. The second one is coming. You also have your delayed 30th slash 31st anniversary box set. Yes. You are a busy man. Um, so thank you so much for your time um, and to take the time to have a chat with me over coffee. It's always a joy to speak to you. It's always great to talk to you, Daniel. And uh, thank you for the um, the Twitter listening parties. It helped a lot of people. I know for sure. Well, it, it definitely helped me too. But but thank you very much. Yeah, let's hope you get that Kate Bush one right. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, Tim Burgess. I've interviewed Tim so many times over the years for the radio, but to actually talk about things like growing up and transcendental meditation with him was fascinating to me. I really just think he's such a kind soul. If you enjoyed the show and have time to review it, please do. Or to have every episode drop straight into your feed, why not click the subscribe button? I'd be so grateful. Because next time I talk radio renaissance art and the acid house boom with this legend. I was aware that was something very exciting going on and that I could take part in it. And I loved seeing that social revolution happening. I was allowed to be an honorary raver. That, my friends, is DJ, broadcaster and club kid Annie Nightingale on Elevenses with Danielle Perry. Thanks so much for listening. Listener.